You're very welcome to today's episode of Skin Deep by Karina Tolan. Today's guest is Mr. Pat Murray. He is author of Making of a Detective. Pat, you're very welcome. Thank you, Karina. My pleasure. It's great to have you here. Of course, I knew when you served time, you're now, of course, retired, but I knew when you served time in Balbriggan, the parish in which I grew up in, and I knew one of the victims of the crimes that you investigated, and of course, you... Um, close that case as well very successfully um, your first murder scene of course was a victim a friend a client of mine actually as well what stood out for you in this case and how did it shape you as a detective it was your first murder wasn't it it was the first uh, murder where I made an arrest uh, for murder it was the murder of Mary Goff and her husband uh, Colin Whelan was the perpetrator and it was uh, obviously murder all murders are savage and and uh, this one was premeditated, and we believe, and I believe, uh, and I have evidence to suggest that he was thinking of killing his wife before he m- married her, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, strange, bizarre. Where he, like, when we dug into the Colin Whelan and Mary, like, they had uh, been together for ten years, mm-hmm. and uh, there was one blip in the middle of all of that, but. Um, he had looked up sites in respect of uh, strangulation and these type of things before he had married her. Uh, we also discovered he took out a, an insurance policy for two hundred thousand uh, pounds on on both their lives, and uh, when he got married, he upped it then to four hundred thousand, uh, which was bizarre because it proved very evidential that insurance policy because it was one where it was open for 10 years and at the end of the 10 years uh, he got nothing mm-hmm. there was no benefit other than if someone one if him or mary died in the interim either one of them could cash in on the policy now obviously he took it out with the uh, intention of cashing it in because he knew what he was going to do to his wife so they were both uh, fit and healthy people and the likelihood of them dying of natural causes within that period of time was was very small so we were like you know it was obvious that he had taken out the policy to uh, benefit from uh, our debt financially. financially yes i mean and what would drive that kind of ego and that i don't know to make him think that that would not be found out or well, this is it. Uh, most of these people that I have investigated, they have psychopathic tendencies and they are psychopathic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what makes a person a psychopath or what, what uh, moulds them that way? Well, there is a, a saying, uh, I heard uh, Fergus Finley said many a time, a childhood lasts a lifetime. And when you look into these people's childhoods, there are markers and uh, that would indicate that they were somewhat uh, put off track uh, in developing their emotions in, in a, a normal fashion. And I have yet to come across someone uh, that murders that that hasn't happened to. Uh, Colin Whelan was no different. Um, but I, wouldn't, I won't go into that aspect of it because it's something that uh, uh, we didn't develop at the time on his request and that's that's all I can say about that. Mm-hmm. But definitely there's issues with these people that uh, their childhoods have affected the way they grow up and they, mm-hmm. their emotions are stunted in that they can be come across as a very nice person but their emotions are dead. They don't have that ability to be to be empathetic or to have uh, feelings for, you know, uh, like we would have or, you know, they're cut short Mm -hmm. uh, and it gives them the platform to do things which are evil, which they don't believe at the time they are evil. Mm -hmm. And it's a fascinating area and I've looked at these people that I have dealt with and I can definitely see that there is a picture or a pattern to the way they behave. And usually you will find that their egos are uh, big. Uh, they have a, usually um, a dislike for, or for authority uh, and they believe they're smarter and cleverer than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And this is what leads to their own downfall because they don't think things out the way, you know, if you were going to try and commit a murder and get away with it, uh, especially in Colin Whelan's case, he, he left so many clues. It was We had overwhelming evidence in the end of the day, mm-hmm. but he was quite clever the way he was thinking. But his, uh, let's say, the pattern which he uh, 
took to evade justice was really silly because we were uh, at every corner, like gathering the evidence. Even even that, even when he knew he was caught, he wasn't didn't show any signs of remorse. He actually thought he didn't even have to pay the penalty, and he fled the country. Yes, that's right. Uh, we we uh, got enough evidence on him to have him charged, and after he was charged with the murder, several months later, he'd done a runner. We discovered that he had got a false passport and a false name and fled the country, and uh, eventually we picked him up in Spain uh, in a place called Portals Noose, um, and we we uh, brought him back uh, to, 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 to face his charges, and eventually he pleaded guilty which was a, a acknowledgement for that everything that we had discovered and was in the book of evidence, he, he agreed with that. It was acknowledgement, but was it remorse? No, he had no remorse. Oh he had God. no remorse. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that these people lack to be able to say, sorry, I did it wrong, and what can I do to make it right now? There's never anything they can do to make it right, but I do believe that... Um, someone that's convicted of a pre-planned murder should serve every last minute in jail of their life. Yeah. And I think that, especially in gangland terms, will, will ha- would have effects. Uh, they might think twice of killing people mm-hmm. because the guards are not stupid. Uh, guards are quite clever and if you have the right investigation team there isn't a crime that they can't solve mm-hmm. and uh, I've proven that myself over the years um, you take the Irene White investigation she had been murdered in 2005 but it was 2017 when I got it solved mm-hmm. uh, you know then you have uh, a double murder I had in 2012 and it took me three years before I was able to bring someone before the courts mm-hmm. uh, so murder investigations can be can be protracted but with the proper team and proper guidance and proper focus and to know what you're about uh, I, I believe there is no crime that can't be solved and that's just my own opinion because mm-hmm. I've gone through it I know I've something like an 80% detection rate on murder so mm-hmm. I know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about yeah. um, but definitely these people they are strange characters and you know, Colin Whelan was uh, talked to anybody at his workplace, which we did. They thought he was the nicest guy that ever. What I know on the many occasions I met him, and um, and I know for sure that Mary's family and Mary indeed loved him. Yes, um, a huge amount. Absolutely, and we had it that um, you know when the, you know we were able to establish through the postmortem that she was strangled. And uh, we broke the news to the Goff family in a, as best we could by saying that, look, at, uh, was there any difficulties in the marriage? And uh, they said no. And we were saying that, look, at, the post-mortem results don't reflect what Colin is saying. Mm-hmm. So we have a difficulty. So mm-hmm. they didn't know what we meant. And they obviously went to the Goffs and they said, don't listen to the guards. In actual fact, they, they, it was mentioned by one of them, the guards will plant evidence and try to make this a murder and stuff like that, don't. So uh, it was actually one of the, the Goff uh, brothers uh, called to the station the following day and says, what are you on about? What, what's, not, what's not fitting in place? And we just had to be honest and say, look, Mary was strangled. Uh, she was murdered and we can establish and Colin is saying he's the only person in the house at the time mm-hmm. so the finger of suspicion is pointing there and like at that stage we had discovered that it, there was scratch marks on his body mm-hmm. He, we knew he had changed his story uh, in respect of the phone call to the 999 uh, person because that was all recorded mm-hmm. and uh, he had uh, said that the, the 999 called the man home to wrap her in the duvet and that you know but uh, that was never suggested or never said. Yeah. We know that he had looked up sites about how to keep a body warm and stuff like that. So he had obviously killed her prior to ringing the 999. Yeah. So uh, because her body was cold to the touch in Bowman Hospital when she was brought there that night and one of the nurses thought that strange if she had fallen an hour earlier she'd still be warm, her body would still be warm. And then she looked at her and her tongue was swollen which is a sign of strangulation. Uh, but there was no ligature marks as such. But Colin had, we discovered, had used the rope from his dressing gown 
and put a towel around it and strangled her in that respect. Mm -hmm. But Mary, in her fight for life, got to turn and scrape him on the chest. And uh, he, it all went wrong from then like, because he uh, applied so much pressure that he actually killed her in the bedroom. And we know that happened between the uh, ensuite door and the main bedroom door because we could find that... Uh, and we know when you strangle someone, uh, they emit uh, uh, blood from their nose. It's so uh, fine. It's a mist. You wouldn't see it. But we could pick that up with, with the aluminum on, on the, with the forensics could pick it up on the, the, between the two doors. So we knew she was strangled at that location. And then he, after that, he had, uh, I don't know what his thinking was, but he put the ro his rope back on his dressing gown and uh, the towel was under her body uh, down at the bottom of the stairs where he had dragged her down the bottom of the stairs to make it look like a fall. And what do you think his motivation was? Like, is he, a, is he or this type of people, are they predators? No, uh, these people are psychopathic. They like to be in control is their big thing. And you will find with most murders where men kill their wives, are, like, it's a control it's definitely control and Colin was no different because I spoke and took a statement from uh, Marie Goff, Mary's mother and it took me eight hours to do so and we discussed various things and she said like you know Mary stopped was very uh, proud of her nails and very mm -hmm. proud of her hair and yeah. uh, she started going downhill and her clothes became a bit gaudy and she said, oh, Colin doesn't like me wearing those and he doesn't like me getting my nails done. And she said I, she went along with what Colin was suggesting. Now, that's nothing but psychological abuse. Yeah. And that's what he was doing to her. Yeah. And uh, we also discovered at that time that he was having a cyber affair, which was the first introduction I had to, to the cyber world and where he had uh, purported himself as a, a guy who was single and looking for a relationship and uh, struck up a relationship with a girl in uh, Tondra Pandy in, in Wales. And we I travelled to Wales myself with two other guys to talk to her uh, with the Welsh police we met there. And the woman was, uh, Helen Shepherd was her name, a lovely woman. Uh, she was a, a lady who had lost her mother just at the time she had... Uh, was grieving and getting over that and she met Colin on a chat room and he sort of strung her on and told her that his wife has died in a car crash and this is what she believed and as we know uh, the investigation you could establish that he was involved in a road traffic accident where he uh, we believe he deliberately crossed the road and crashed into a car killing a woman in Gormanstown so uh, he used this guy's to spin the story to Helen Shepherd that his wife had died and she was in a car crash. Um, she believed all of that. Um, they became very friendly. They sent a lot of um, greeting cards, email greeting cards to each other. And in fact, I think it was 150 or 160 they had exchanged. So they had an ongoing relationship. They had an ongoing relationship. And she, this lady loved, was in love with Colin. Oh. She told us she was in love with him. When I knocked on her door that evening, uh, she was very let us in and talk she was very upset like what's all this about and uh, I walked into the it was sort of an open plan house and I could see Colin Whelan's photograph on a magnet on the on the on the on the fridge you know, so I, 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 I went and I took it off and I says uh, do you see this guy here she's that's Colin and I haven't heard from him in two days because he actually the murder had occurred on the 28th so she hadn't this was um, the 3rd or 4th or whatever it was and she said I, I haven't heard from him from the 28th and she said uh, is he alright or is he this that and the other and we said uh, well look we're here for a reason I said you know Colin's wife uh, died oh yes I know that he told me he was she was in a car crash like and I said no 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 she's uh, she only died uh, a couple of days ago and uh, we can establish she was strangled like you know and Colin is a suspect and she just collapsed to the ground and she sobbed and cried her eyes I love him I'm in love with him and this and that Colin, that's, Colin wouldn't do that and all this this was her yeah. perception of Colin like you know so um, I felt very sorry for her but she 
in all fairness now she she stood solid and she made a statement about their relationship mm-hmm. and she had the 120 or 150 emails mm-hmm. saved mm-hmm. in alphabetical in order from of the dates and she gave us all of them which mm-hmm. were evidential and uh, she let us download her computer and uh, she you know it took her you know, she was very, very upset now, really, really upset. And uh, she lived with her son. And uh, she was a lady who had been married twice before. And she done her job was, she was doing a lot of charity work for cancer victims and that, like, you know. So she was a good woman, a good woman. She just got a bad run of, oh, of yeah. luck, you know. You know, I think sometimes women, when they want to believe something, they'll nearly convince themselves, do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, maybe she wanted, she thought he was the man of her dreams and mm. she had this all played out in her mind. But it does, you know, with the murder victims, doesn't, it's not even always just the murder victims. There's a lot of people damaged by oh these perpetrators. Oh yes. The families when, when and is, yeah, when somebody is murdered, um, and it's, it's a murder investigation, the families are like you know rocked to the core like you know their loved one is taken from them and not is taken from them in a violent manner by someone they know Mm -hmm. like it really does and trusted it really it really rocks the boat now and and it's one of the aspects uh, i always say in respect of why someone should serve the full life sentence for their murder it's because when someone uh, applies then for parole and the families are told uh, the guy who killed your your daughter has applied for uh, parole, like you know, and this brings it all right back. Yeah. The whole negative and bad feeling, the hurt, it brings it all right back. And the first person they'll contact is probably me. Like I get phone calls. Uh, yeah. I got one there recently. There, where there's a guy I locked up for murder. He killed his wife, and uh, the family were so upset. Mm-hmm. They asked me, like, it, it, it true, will he get out? Because we're living in fear of him. And mm-hmm. so I always believe that if someone serving life and does their life, these type, this, these type of, of elements of hurt and pain mm-hmm. that hang over families won't be there. Yeah. And they can rest assured that person mm-hmm. is going to send. And that's the way it should be. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, act- I read your book on a flight mm-hmm. and... Um, I was a little bit embarrassed because I cried a lot and I thought the people sitting beside me must think what is wrong with this one but you know what I found reading your book I felt like I got to know your victims and their personalities and how was that for you because in a crime scene you must be starting to gather information about these people and you're learning very intimate details about their lives and then of course you go on to very intimate relationships with their with their own families mm. i know it certainly happened in the case of mary goff and again mm. with um, rachel. rachel yeah and um, how how was that how did that affect you as a person and in your career and yeah well it was very simple in my mind like i remember I was a member of the garda shikan i held the position of detective inspector i was a qualified senior investigating officer i was investigating these murders uh, you're taught from a young age in the guards that you carry out your duties without fear, favour, malice or an ill will, which made sense to me, um, and that you, you do your best. Uh, as a senior investigating officer, uh, like I'm a public servant, that's mm-hmm. it, like, you know, I'm not above that. Mm-hmm. And I always told my team that you're answerable to three, to three sections. Uh, number one, you're answerable to your own authorities, you're answerable to the courts, and you're answerable to the public. So don't ever think you're above that, you're not. And you have a service to provide for these people. And I always took it uh, personally, that I would look after the victims' families and keep them posted and do my best. And that's the way it was with Marie Goff, her mother, uh, when I said I'd be investigating this and I'll do my best, I'll leave no stone unturned. Mm -hmm. And she turned to me and says, no, no, you'll leave no crumb unturned. And I said, no, that's fine. And every time I met Marie Goff after that, she'd say, well, uh, did you leave any crumb unturned? Like, you know, so Mm -hmm. it sort of became a little bit of a joke between us. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we left no crumb unturned on that one we 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 delved into it with great enthusiasm and uh, the evidence was there and we acquired the evidence and uh, some of the evidence came from the computer logs from his workplace and there was 14,000 logs a day that we had to shift through to find any evidence that he might have been looking up stuff on that which we were able to 
show and prove. And he, was do- he wasn't doing it from his own computer, he was doing it from his colleague's computer beside him. So he was, he was all the time thinking, like, but he was, you know, I have to laugh sometimes. Like, these like guards are not silly, and there's some fantastic investigators in the guards, and some of them have great ideas. And, like, for criminals to think that they can outsmart them is, is, is um, it's a bit of a no-no, really. And I've proven that myself over some of the cases that I've done, and I have looked at... Uh, evidence and how we can, let's say, enhance it and uh, how we can, let's say, situations that may arise that in one particular case there, uh, the double murder of Anthony Burnett and uh, uh, young Joey Redmond and we had a car at the centre of this murder and through technological advances in CCTV and cars we were able to acquire a company in England, mm-hmm. Acuity is their name, and they were able to tell us that the car that we had on CCTV at a certain place was the same car in another location where we had a guy getting out of it which we could identify, which was the guy who we, we convicted of the double murder. So what I'm saying is that instead of just sitting back to God, yeah, I know that he did it and he's there and that's the car, and but you have to prove that. Yeah. So I sat back and thought it out mm-hmm. and looked at any other way we could do that. And I, I did prove that it can be done mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, uh, the trial lasted several weeks and he was convicted of the double murder mm-hmm. so that th- their families were very very appreciative of the guards and the hard work they had put in well um, it's kind of the final chance to make something right out of an incredibly wrong situation absolutely families all they want is want to know is uh, who, who who killed their loved one why they were killed and will justice be served they want to see that the yeah. that the that this, the, 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 the organs of the state will give it a good shot and do the best and the only way you can do that is uh, being honest with the people if you're not honest you're on a hiding to nowhere because you will be caught out like you know mm. uh, and that's you know I had my own internal um, standards and uh, I always was, was, was honest with them I was always accountable uh, I was always professional uh, and um, showed respect to the families and to the people that we were trying to solve these crimes for mm-hmm. and uh, they were my they were my uh, let's say my guiding lights in my own inner self that I, I held to yeah. and I always uh, and in the investigations I kept things as simple as I possibly could for people to understand and when you were completing a file and sending it to DPP that it was done in such a way that the evidence was there and it was shown the logical steps of, yeah. of, of the investigation and um, uh, I, I didn't waver from that and I'm glad I didn't because it has done me yeah, served you well served me well yeah mm-hmm. and uh, you know but there are some fantastic investigators in the guards and good good policemen you know mm-hmm. A lot of the crimes that you did investigate were violence against women. Mm. Um, is there anything you think women can do to protect themselves? You are a father of three daughters. Mm. Is there anything, you know, that you would instill in them? Or yes. Well, what I would say that there are traits with men uh, of this ilk that uh, women who will ultimately be the victims mm-hmm. know about and don't speak up in time. You will find that a lot of these people are control freaks. Mm-hmm. They will control them psychologically or physically. Uh, they will result, in, not them all, but there definitely will be uh, control. Control is a big thing. And the victim, let's say, or the lady who's with this person will know that and understand, but will never um, admit to it or... or um, you know, acknowledge want to acknowledge it. it. Especially maybe to those around them. Well, yeah, and they, they may have children and their focus will be on their children and uh, I'll get over this or we'll get through it or, you know, I'll put up with it, you know. Uh, it Sometimes then it accumulates to violence, uh, being slapped around the place uh, uh, and one particular lady um, whose husband murdered her uh, Jacqueline McDonough and she was beaten to death in front of her children 
and uh, you know uh, to finish her off or to really to insult her uh, a garden shears that was stuck in her head like you know so and this was happened in front of his children like you know so this is a guy that was totally off the rails like mm-hmm. you know and it was pure jealousy because uh, we believed he was a bodybuilder and we thought that he'd have steroids in his system which I was able to prove he had but I went to the ends of the earth to show that the the, the drugs he had taken uh, could not have affected his thinking and his mental state at the time he killed his wife. So he was used, going to use that as a defence, but I cut him off at the pass, and I mentioned that in the book. It's it's, it's one of my uh, better uh, ones, like, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, But she was beaten for about 16 years and spent times in refuge uh, shelters, and not one complaint she ever made to the guards. Mm. So this is a lady who was being bullied and beaten and mm-hmm. lived with it because she believed uh, it was best for the kids to, you know, just not to rock mm-hmm. the boat. But when she did decide, and we believed that she was deciding to, to move on, to leave him, uh, the jealousy and the rage yeah. erupted and, and he killed her. And that's another thing that we find is that when a woman stands up to the man, uh, in a way, let's say, if she's getting help or moving on and that, they can't take it. Mm-hmm. It's a very vulnerable time mm. for a woman. And it's something that they should always look out for. And I know there were, um, I think there's some doll committee set up now to look at all this type of thing, you know. And uh, I, 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 I wonder why they don't come and ask me. <laughs> well, of <laughs> but course. But uh, certainly there are traits in men who who um, engage in violence against their partner. Like, a lot of them have their own problems that they should get sorted out before they ever get married or have children or engage in relationships, but it doesn't work out that way. But for a, a couple where the woman can see that she's been bullied and been made little of mm-hmm. uh, and been blamed uh, and been undermined is sort of a very bad state of affairs for her, and it can only get worse. And my advice to anybody in that situation, if you are abused, talk to the guards, make your statement, make your, you know, and get out. Yeah. There's a saying, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, women again can be like, oh, no, he didn't mean that. It was once off. Like that he... he Yeah, yeah. I've seen that, yeah. I've seen it several times where, like, I prosecuted uh, in the district court in for two years as a uniform inspector and I used to have to prosecute the cases and several domestic cases would come up and uh, on the day hearing the wife would will withdraw the, and that'll be it it'll be withdrawn and she'd be asked by the judge you're happy enough that you weren't put under any duress to, to no no I want to withdraw the complaint against my husband and that's it back to square one and it's the biggest mistake they ever made is by doing that like yeah. you know but um, I'd advise women that are under pressure like that, they should talk to the police and they should talk to maybe um, social services or that, you know, at least to get advice of what they can do or where they can go and their families. Yeah. If they have good families, their families will row in and take them out of that situation, yeah. like, you know. Um, but it's sad, it's very sad, it's going on at the moment. It's, do you know what I mean? It's just unfortunately every year you have a number of murders. Absolutely, I mean, it will continue to happen it and will, I mean potentially yeah. someone out there listening could be the next victim yes and if they have if they if they'll know themselves like within themselves the violence that their partner has and uh, you know if 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 they if they're in that situation they don't have to put up with it and they should get out mm. and there's no problem getting out of a marriage or a bad relationship one door closed another door will open but at least you'll be safe and you're alive and you're alive Yes. Yeah. Is there any particular case that over in your career that still lingers with you or you still think about? Yeah, there is. Uh, there was one particular case there. It was the disappearance of uh, Kira Breen back in 1998. Uh, she got out her bedroom window and never was seen again. And uh, it was investigated and the suspect was arrested in the early days of 98, 99. And um, there was no charges against him. I took it on again in 2010 and went about, looked at the whole aspect of the case and I could see where uh, there were lines of inquiry that 
could have been done that weren't done. And we, we myself and uh, a detective, Brendan Duffy, we, we sat down and planned out our approach to it and we developed other uh, witnesses. And the witnesses who came forward were very, very valuable to us. And uh, we ran it on crime call. And Bernadette, uh, Kira's mother, gave a very passionate appeal to, to people who really was powerful. Uh, we did get an anonymous phone call uh, that a, a woman says that she knew her husband, who wasn't her husband then, had information about it. Now, we traced that call and we traced that woman and she had no problem talking to us. And her husband had no problem talking to us. And he was a person that would have had not any time for guards at that mm-hmm. time. But he did say that the, the suspect that we had for the murder uh, had confided in someone who confided in him that he dumped her in the bog and that he was with her that night. And, you know, so we, we, we were, we, we always had that inkling, but we had it now in a statement form. Mm-hmm. So we had something a little bit more solid. Uh, we had statements from people who came forward and said, uh, I was talking to the suspect and he said, you see out that bog there, I could put someone in that bog and no one will ever find them. And uh, he did mention to another person that this guy was, he was preying on young, like he was 30 and she was 17 and he was plying them with drink and having sex with him and that type of stuff. And uh, he took a shine to Kira Breen and uh, he was he wanted her and that was it and he was going to have her and that was it. The night she went missing was uh, Valentine's night, you know. So we think that maybe she might have went to break it off that night or or she may have been pregnant or uh, because we did come across a girl, I think she was only 14 or 15 at the time that he made pregnant and uh, she she told him and he went to strangle her and but she was strong enough for him to get away from him and we're saying like this it's a pattern repeating itself yeah. so we believe that poor Kira was she said the wrong thing at the, that night and he killed her and put her in the bog now uh, as a result of that we undertook to search this bog but it's 17 acres of a bog but with the funding that we had uh, and from our, our logical thoughts of where it might have happened we searched two acres uh, without uh, any success, like, you know, so I believe she's still up there, like, in that bog somewhere, so... Uh, so her poor family, and we, 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 like, you know, we came a load cross bones with the word, animal bones and stuff like that, and every time your heart to jump, they could have it solved now, because we had so much evidence in a circumstantial setting uh, that all I needed was a fingernail from her mm-hmm. body in, in that bog mm-hmm. and I had enough to eat enough to, to be charged with murder. Is That's he still cold. alive? No, he, he he's oh, a guy yeah. who, who died uh, he was arrested for drunk driving I think and, and he had heroin on him and he put it in his mouth and swallowed it and uh, it burst in his stomach in the station and uh, he died in the cell so um, that was it like Fishing you know, that. Yeah but uh, I know Bernadette cried her eyes out saying like I'll never find out where my daughter is now like you know so mm. but I still believe there are people there that still know and have a knowledge of uh, where Kira ended up. And we know, I know that we received two anonymous letters. Um, I was able to trace and figure out who these letters were from. And I think that person might be able to come forward and, uh, you know, uh, help out, like, yeah. you know. Uh, and I know Paul Bernadette is dead now, like, you know, but like there's, she has an extended family, but. And that was her only daughter, like, her only child, her only daughter. And ah. I just said to myself, and I seen, like, I sat with uh, Bernadette for hours and we chatted, and I could see and feel the pure, raw pain of her daughter missing all those years, doesn't know where she is, doesn't know what happened. It's a know. life sentence. It's, it's a same life with sentence, yeah. Jojo daughters and yeah, those yeah, girls. Yeah. What, what do you think there that... Well, I would say in respect of, like, I know there was Operation Trace was sent up and, and all these girls who were missing, they were all put together to see if there was a serial killer uh, in play and Kira Breen was lumped in with that. Now, I can tell you 100% the person who killed uh, Kira Breen was not a serial killer and uh, I know who killed her and uh, um, unfortunately we just couldn't, hadn't enough to prove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the likes of Jojo Dollard... Um, yeah, she, 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 like they, they talk about Larry Murphy as a person who, who, uh, and Annie McCarrick and, yeah, and all those. And, and you talk about, um, uh, Deirdre Jacob 
and it can be established. I think that uh, uh, Larry Murphy was in, in Newbridge that day and uh, he had worked on a house somewhere near her and that. So and uh, there's no evidence that a prisoner that was in with Larry Murphy, as Larry said to him, well, you grabbed the girl in Newbridge that day and put her in the car. And, you know, so what I'm saying is that uh, did Larry Murphy kill more than, did he kill someone? There's a strong likelihood that he did. Yeah. Did he do these other people? Quite possibly. Because if you look at the circumstances of the girl that he had attacked and raped and brought up the mountains and tied her up, and he told her uh, to have a good look round, this is the last thing you're going to see before I kill you. And she got out of her, of the way she was tied up and ran, and she was naked and ran into a field, and those guys lamping rabbits, and she ran towards them, and she could see the lights, and she, then she ran the opposite direction because she thought they were part of you know, the gang with, with him, and uh, she ran into bushes and barbed wire and cut herself and all, and when she got up, uh, the boys said, look, like, what's wrong, what's wrong, like, we're here to help you, like we do, you know, and she says, your man was chasing her now, they turned the lights on him, and they got a look at him, and one of the fellas says, it is, I know him, but he couldn't put a name on him, like, you know, so, so Larry Murphy came to be recognised then, but what, what I'd say is that, if he got away with that that night, there's no doubt in my mind. He, although absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was married with three kids or whatever, like, you know, and uh, yeah. do you know what I mean? so this is a guy who was Mr. Nice Guy, like, you know. Yeah. So, but a whole different side from behind it, like, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's 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 funny how these things, you know, then you, you see where um, uh, Marilyn Wren, who was mur- murdered that time, and Lawler was the culprit, and... Uh, He's it's now established that he was a cousin of Larry Murphy's, like you know. So this is so you can see how there's I don't know maybe there's a an inbred gene somewhere around the way, you know. And the guy who we had suspect for killing Kira Breen, his cousin was a, a serial murderer in in London for uh, he was attacking girls himself and another guy. Um, well, no doubt uh, there's a personality disorder mm, or a, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's narcissism. Yeah, something that I've looked into a lot, and I think if anyone out there feels they may be affected by even a narcissistic yeah. parent, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be somebody, and um, they're involved with. Yeah. But when you read into it, you can very, very clearly see the signs. Oh, the signs are there. Yeah. Oh, the signs are absolutely there. You just see them black and white, and it's so apparent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a childhood loss of lifetime. It's there. Mm-hmm. It's there. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, what's your opinion on this new breed of criminality that's emerging? Well, they're vicious and, uh, you know, I always can think back to like, the likes of love, hate and all these. And I think they do play a part in, in fueling it, in fueling, let's say, the mentality of some of these, the glamorising of the what these young people uh, you know, get involved in and like it's money, it's all money, like money, 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 like uh, they want money. They can't, they usually come from a, a socially deprived background. Uh, they will probably have had very little chance in life and they see that this is the way forward. Um, they, uh, a lot of these young people, in my mind, have mental problems and they're not diagnosed or seen and like it's too late down the line when they're involved in uh, criminality like that, you know, that it's... Lack of education, lack, lack of, of intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. And what I would say is that they are vicious. Like, you know, that, that pure chap there recently, like, you know, being kidnapped, uh, murdered, ch- yeah, chopped up mm. and dumped. Uh, and they were going to dump the head at a certain location in Gormanstown. Uh, so um, that was the plan, I, I believe, you know. So. Mm. Uh, it's just horrific and the p- people who are caught for this and they will be caught because uh, there's a very good team of detectives in, in Drada uh, and they will I say will go to the end of the earth to get this solved mm-hmm. to get the people who have done this mm-hmm. and get them before the courts mm-hmm. and like I said it's premeditated like if they're convicted they should stay in prison for life you know and as a deterrent for crime it is yeah and it's like that young Kriegel case like you know that was another horrendous like, you know, two young guys killing this girl, like, you know, and sexually abusing her or whatever, like, in, in the shed, and, uh, you, know, you know, it was just horrendous, like, you know, Anna Kriegel. I don't know that case, case now, yeah, where? Yeah, it was, it, it was in, um, 
Oh, I don't know. It's it was a leak slipper on it. That's it. Oh my god, I do, Anna. Yeah, the child from school. Yeah. Again, that is this new breed of young. The same with yeah. the Killing and Dunleary. Well, there again, we have to go back to and look at uh, the relationship these young people have with pornography and yeah. their let's video say, games and all that. And if they're not a full mental capacity due to other issues, like they think this is right or this is whatever, mm-hmm. and their view on women are, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's and it's terrible. It really is. And you know, it is apparent because there was an incident in my um, daughter's class mm. when she was in fourth class, I think mm. it was, where derogative um, mm. things were wrote on the toilet wall about the mm. teacher, a young mm. female teacher, mm. and that's very much what I got out of it. Mm. Was that opinion of women, you know? Oh yeah, and that's yeah. what it is, and that's where it starts off. And when guys get to a stage, then they're married or they're yeah. in a relationship, you know. It's it's unhealthy what's within them. Yeah. So uh, I'm just yeah. it's it's just my view on things. Like you know, I think uh, there's a lot of issues there for young people. Um, you know, around sexuality and uh, their view on sex and their view on relationships. And you know, uh, they may be struggling themselves with their own sexuality, or they may be, and that's one of the issues that led to a murder in RD there last year. Like you know, so you do have. You know, mm. but these are all issues that can be addressed with yeah. the proper, yeah. let's say, resources behind it. Mm. You know, but like from what you can see now is that there's no uh, resources there for dealing with a uh, young person's mental health. Like there's yeah. no facilities to put them in someplace or t- like, you know, so. Absolutely. Like in that case of um, that young guy who murdered, oh no, he did, she didn't, she escaped just about with her life on Dunleary Pier. Yes. Um, her his parents were like monitoring his mental health themselves yeah. like they were sleeping on the floor to try and keep yeah. an eye on him yeah. they knew this was going to happen yeah. Yeah. So they knew yeah. he was yeah. so unwell and yeah. the resources just weren't there to the help him he was being prescribed adult medication yeah yeah so like that's what i'm saying there's definitely a whole world out there that needs to be looked at mm. and and structured in mm. such a way to help these mm. people and, and that's yeah it, like, because you know. that is the reality that is out there now and we need mm. to manage it absolutely and that's yeah. that's it pure yeah. and simple and uh, I'm sure it makes you very glad that you're now retired I'm glad to be retired uh, don't miss uh, the job uh, I did work with some fantastic people and I have great respect for them uh, I also worked with some plonkers but that's a different story <laughs> But uh, what I would say is that Angarishikon um, is a very good organisation. Structurally, at the moment, it probably needs to be put right. Um, like at the end of the day, Angarishikon is an organisation that provides a service to the public in the story. Mm. And there shouldn't be anything uh, too uh, difficult to put in place. That the that the public get a good service, mm-hmm. and I, I go back to uh, and I mention it in my book as well. Operation Scale, which was a an operation that we put in place because we had the manpower, which was which was given to us after Tony Golden was shot dead, um, and one of the issues that came up is that why like Tony Golden was on his own, why didn't he have help? And he showed he was working on his own and doing double shifts because there was nobody else out in mm-hmm. Carlingford. There was nobody else in no Omid, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there was no, there was no, it was a lack of manpower. It was just horrendous, like you mm. know. So of course, authorities, as it is, when something like that happens, oh yeah, r- sh- circle the wagons, get mm. people in there, and we got a, a dose of manpower from people who came there on a temporary transfer, and I was asked to put in place some sort of a system that we could uh, police the border and Dundalk town and try to reduce the crime. Mm. Uh, I put in place an operation called Operation Scale. It was a standalone operation, and as a result of that operation, we 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 ran it on intelligence, and we were able to put together the gangs that were committing crime in Dundalk and on mm. the border, and we targeted each each gang. Oh. And as a result of that, mm. we. Uh, recovered uh, over a million uh, euro in property and assets and drugs and cash in the 12-month period. We uh, we locked up uh, a lot of the main uh, gang leaders. Uh, we um, put in place a system where we had um, undercover police buying drugs on the street and we were able to identify 25 sellers of drugs and we got them all locked up for nine months. And we reduced the burglary rate by 45%. Wow. 
we have normally in Dundalk in a year period 600 burglaries yeah. and we had it reduced down to 300. Well, it just shows you what can be done, Pat. can be done. Which is kind of frustrating at the same time for you, I'm sure. Well, it's frustrating in that we put this together. We had a good uh, uh, technical background to it. Uh, it. It was really, really good and very well run. And we had checkpoints and we had... Uh, uh, simple things like when the burglaries were, had dropped, we could see then that most of the burglaries were occurring in the town and not in the country areas because mm. we had checkpoints on and that, so mm. people weren't travelling. Mm. And when we did come across a criminal with a car, we'd take it off them because it was never right, and okay. so they were without transport. And uh, we then put in place with the analyst, we were able to just say, say that, look, at five burglaries occurred last week in this estate and they happened on a Wednesday between five and six or whatever. Yeah. Or the, so devising that type of a strategy, we put police on the beat in the estates mm-hmm. at those times and it reduced the, t- the, wow. the, the burglaries even more. So yes. what I'm saying is that with proper thinking and a system in place, yeah. yes, we can. The guards can do the job, and that's it. Uh, and I, 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 like, you know, that was hugely successful, and it's really a system of policing that should be uh, endorsed in every division in the country. Yeah. And uh, Ideally, I, that would be the case. Oh, yes, that would be the case, yeah. And Pat, tell me, what advice would you give to someone considering joining the force? Well, all I can tell from my own perspective, it was a fantastic career and a, it's a way of life. It's not very conducive to married life or being, because you have a lot of shift work and then when you got into detective work, you were working uh, outside the range of your nine to five. Mm-hmm. So on that basis, it can be stressful. Um, I would never tell anyone to to uh, not to join but if they do join they need to put into it what they expect to get out of it Mm -hmm. and that's it because I've seen policemen who their sole aim was to get to the 30 years get out get the pension get the lump sum that's it affect the job that was it that was their that was it Uh, they're in every industry I'm sure yeah and then you get other guys who are like you know and I'd put myself in that bracket that like you'd work to the to the you know the ends of the earth to get the crime mm. solved and to get you know to, yeah. to do a good job, and I'd say I was uh, few and far between, let's say, mm-hmm. but uh, still it was done, and, and and there's some great guys out there, yeah, absolutely. Like and and I would say to anyone wanting to join, yes, join, but you know, put into it what you hope to get out of it, and uh, be honest, accountable, respectful, and responsible, and uh, be professional, and. Keep things simple. Good and advice. That's and that's it. And that's well, Pat, I want to thank you not only for your time here today, but also for the service to the country that you gave. A lot of people sleep better in their bed at night because of your career. And I know a lot of souls rest better too because of the convictions that you had. Yeah, well, so thanks thank very so much, Karina. Thank you very thank much. You. Your book, of course, itself said you were telling me it's going to be relaunched as in a, a smaller form. Is that what you were saying to me? Yeah, yeah it's a book uh, published. My publishers are Penguin. Uh, they were very happy with the book and it's it'll be relaunched again in a, in a paperback format and uh, uh, that will be probably in springtime or that you know yeah. it may hit the it may hit the UK market at that stage but um, I've got tremendous feedback oh it's a fantastic read yeah they, they said it yeah. really gives them an insight I've got letters to my house from people who read it they, they really couldn't yeah. believe how good it was and they yeah. just wanted to thank me and yeah. you know and I've wrote back to those people and you know thanking them for thanking well, I me, really I really enjoyed it and I think it's a, it was a great tribute to those lives as well and to the families yes so okay. well done thanks yeah, again no. Pat okay Karina thank you Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and of course thank you to Mr Pat Murray for taking the time to speak with me I really enjoyed Pat's book, The Making of a Detective. If you haven't read it yet, I suggest you do. It was chilling reading and very emotional too, particularly as a woman, because so many of the vic- so many victims of the crimes he investigated were female. And what makes it even more sad is no the perpetrator was known to them, which is the ultimate betrayal in my eyes. Of course, Pat investigated the murder of a client and a friend of mine. I was looking after Mary in the salon. Her sister-in-law was my colleague and we were getting her ready for her wedding. And I know for sure, like every other bride who walks up the aisle, Mary believed she was on the only beginning her life and was very much in love and to have had that trust and love violated the way it was is just horrific. 
Um, I want to dedicate today's episode of Skin Deep to Mary Goff in her memory and of course to anyone out there who has been the victim of crime, particularly when the perpetrator was known to them. If you enjoyed today's episode, um, I would be really appreciative if you rate and review on iTunes and thanks so much for all your support throughout the last 16 episodes of Skin Deep for sharing on your Instagram and on your various social media, tagging me. I really appreciate it um, and I really appreciate you reaching out to me with your messages and letting me know what you get out of it because of course my reason for creating Skin Deep by Krita Tolan was to give back. I'm re- I really feel we're doing that so I hope you do too. Until next time, I have some exciting guests lined up for 2020. Um, I wish you and yours good health for the coming months and um, we'll catch up again soon. Take care.